Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. This is a podcast from the South China Morning Post. Hey everyone, welcome back to Inside China Tech. I'm Zen Su, a tech reporter with the South China Morning Post, and I am finally back from the US, from CES. So yeah, welcome back to a new episode. Today we are going to talk about the Hong Kong startup scene. And today with me, I have two very special guests. I have Emma Young from Timeless, who basically created an app for Alzheimer's patients to connect with their loved ones. And I also have with me Yuan Ding, who is the CEO of Lumos, a smart helmet startup based in Hong Kong. So, hey, Emma. Hey, everyone. This is Emma from Timeless. And Yuan. Hey, everyone. This is Yuan here. Great to be here. Cool. We will dive right into it. So, for those of you who don't know, Emma from Timeless is kind of like a really unique startup entrepreneur because she is 14 years old and she has already, you know, been running Timeless for like two years. So, Emma, tell us a little bit about Timeless, like what inspired you to create Timeless at the age of 12? And yeah, tell us a little bit about the story. Sure. I actually started coding when I was really young, but I started really as like a hobby. Like I'd play around with it when I was around like six. I got on Scratch, which is like this block by block programming um, app. And I kind of started from there developing games and like websites. And then eventually um, when I was 11, actually, I had just moved to the States and I came across a competition called the Technovation Challenge, which is a technology entrepreneurship competition that encourages girls to pursue STEM. So my best friend and I actually entered that competition and we developed an app actually for concussions. And from, from then I kind of realized, you know, how impactful technology can be. And I really wanted to kind of create something that could help my grandmother who actually has Alzheimer's. Because when she was around seven or eight, I she was out kind of forgetting my birthday and then forgetting what she did for dinner. So I wanted to create something that could help people like her kind of stay connected with her family. And so I created Timeless uh, when I was around 12 years old. I created like first a working prototype and I kind of built up from there, building my team and finding people to collaborate with me. And so now I'm actually almost about to launch uh, Timeless. We're in the testing phase right now. So I'm really excited right now. Cool. Yeah, that's a really, really great story. You said you started coding when you were uh, about five or six. Yeah. Was this like out of your personal interest? Uh, yeah, my dad actually is based in the tech field. And he kind of showed me kind of computers and kind of playing around with those. And I kind of just started as like, you know, playing around at home kind of as a game. And then it kind of built up from there. Very cool. Okay, so we'll come back to you in a bit, Emma. Now on to you. And so you and I know that you are Singaporean and you've spent some time in the US, but you have started Lumos in Hong Kong. So tell us a little bit about how you started Lumos and why you picked Hong Kong as a base. Sure. And uh, well, thanks for having me, first of all. Great to be here. And uh, my product's actually very visual, so it's interesting to have to explain it uh, um, in, a, in a podcast. But it's a, it's a bicycle helmet. Uh, that looks like a regular bicycle helmet by day, but we've integrated a whole bunch of uh, smart electronics and technology into it. Uh, and basically, you just turn it on, and you find that you've got your lights in the helmet integrated with you. So you get bright white lights in the front, uh, bright red lights at the back, 
Uh, and we give you a remote that goes to your handlebar, which you can use to activate left and right turn signals. And it also senses when you're slowing down and activates a brake light. So uh, all the signals and um, features you've, you know, come to expect for, from, from a car, and we take it into the most vulnerable member of the road, uh, the cyclist. And because it's on your head, it's just naturally higher and more conspicuous. Uh, you're much more likely to not forget uh, to bring your lights with you um and and all of those good things so um how did you come up with the idea of creating lumos like why why create a, a smart bike helmet when you know like for years and years people were just using regular bike helmets right it really is uh i guess sort of similar to emma right we're going through life and we experience a problem and then we're like where this like why can't there be a better there has to be a better something better there has to be a better solution out there um and so i was a cyclist uh in boston uh, and uh, if you're if you're not familiar with Boston uh, at at the time, uh, Boston drivers were rated or voted like the worst drivers in America, meaning like super <laughs> aggressive, um, uh, very intimidating. Um, but the cyclists are, are are Bostonian too, so they are they're also like intimidating. Um, and it get it got dark really early, and I was forgetting my lights all the time, or I'll leave it at home, or I'll leave it on my bike, and it gets stolen, and it's just very frustrating. And then I'll have to ride at night without lights. Um, and I just realized after a while that that's really dangerous. Um, and so that's where the idea for Lumos came. Like, hey, why can't I integrate the two together? It'll be a lot simpler. Uh, it'll be a lot more elegant. And it was nothing more than that. It's just an idea. Um, I met the person who would become my co-founder uh, there. We spent a weekend hacking together the ugliest prototype you could imagine. Um, and the surprising thing was that as ugly as it was, it was incredibly functional and people would keep stopping us while we were running around with it, asking us questions like, wow, what, what is that? Where can I get one? How much is it? You know, all sort of indicating real interest. And so we wanted to build it. So originally when you were building the prototype, um, this was like for your own use? Like you, were you originally thinking of already creating this product or was it just, you know, for yourself at the time? It was really just two kind of nerdy engineers who liked building stuff just for the fun of building it. Um, and we didn't really have much ambitions of like, oh, what, where could this go? What could, what could it become? It was just us scratching an itch. And there was nothing more than that you know, in, in the early days. So the idea to turn it into a business came when you got like a lot more, when you realized that like people on the streets were asking about it, you realized you could turn that into like a real product? Or? Well, one of my dreams had always uh, been to do a Kickstarter campaign. Like I was, I had listened to a bunch, I had seen other companies do it. I, I, I had met an entrepreneur that had run a very successful Kickstarter campaign. And this made so much sense to me, right? That you would build something with a community of early adopters who really believe in your products and would build something that would not otherwise exist. Uh, it doesn't make that so much sense. It's like, wow, how does this process work? I really want to do it. Um, not so much to build a successful business per se, just to like learn what that was like. And so it had always been one of my dreams. And so I was like, you know, I want to build something. This is really catered very well for the Kickstarter community. So it seems like a perfect opportunity. I'll just try and do it. And if it's successful, great. And if it's not successful, well, I'll, I'll have learned something. It's not, not a big deal. Great. Um, so Emma, tell us uh, a little bit more about Timeless. Like, what are the features of Timeless and who are your target users and how it works? Sure. So Timeless includes... Um, four core features. One of them is updates, where you basically see a stream of photos sent by your family and friends, and then the patient actually sees these labels on each of those photos. And that is actually AI-based uh, facial recognition that goes in and looks at each of those photos and sees where the faces are and tags those people so that when the patient's going through, they can say, oh, this is a Emma, my granddaughter. And so the next one is also uh, photos, where you can see all of those photos grouped by person. There's contacts, where you can 
it's like a picture phone book and you can just tap call or text to text someone so you don't have to remember any phone numbers. And the most unique one is actually identify. So you use the uh, camera on your phone to take a picture of a person, whether it's in real life or it's in a, like, a physical photo, and you don't remember that person. You take a picture of it, it'll tell you who that is. Uh, so my target audience is you know, the families of Alzheimer patients and even dementia patients. And I actually got a lot of interesting feedback from that because when I was first starting, I had a really, really basic prototype. And I went and entered these like tech competitions and like competitions for kind of kids science projects. And a lot of people were saying, wow, you know, I wish I had this when like, you know, my family member was going through this or, you know, I have a family member who would love to use this right now. And I kind of realized really the power of what I had created. Yeah. So I'm, I'm kind of curious because obviously with this app, it's also for the patient to use, right? Like, like say if they um, don't remember who somebody is, they can look through photos and, and, and see like this is my son or this is my granddaughter. Mm -hmm. So, um, but that, I guess, also requires some kind of familiarity with technology. And I guess Alzheimer's patients usually tend to be on the older side. Mm -hmm. Like, have you experienced any sort of problems with getting them to sort of use the app? Um, I think right now, you know, based on purely the kind of feedback I get online and with actual people that I meet, a lot of the time they say, you know, my family member kind of uses technology a little bit, or if you introduce this earlier, which I'm trying to kind of advocate for, you know, people kind of finding these tools earlier on in the process, kind of in the early stages, um, kind of adopting to using an app, using a mobile phone, I think it really can be kind of learned into really um, a lifestyle that can kind of really help them to slow down the conjure decline or keep in touch with their family and friends. So you mentioned that there's some artificial intelligence sort of technology in that. Did you create that by yourself? Like, did you, you know, from start to end, you created the entire app on your own? Um, that, the facial recognition part is actually part of an API that um, is developed by a company that based in Miami. They're a startup called Kairos. And they actually, in the beginning, when I was trying to find a tech mentor or advisor, I actually found them online when I was looking for, you know, AI startups. And I'm really grateful because their CTO actually was agreed to kind of be my advisor and also for them to sponsor me. So I've been actually using this API to power that basis. Very cool. So a question for the both of you. What are the sort of challenges that you guys face trying to create your own app or your own company? I guess I can, I can go first. I mean, it's, it's, a, long, it's a long list. Um, I think being part of a community of people who are who are also you know every, it's, every everything's a struggle and being able to like uh, uh, share the experiences and and share notes on on how you're tackling diff different things it's super it's super helpful so being what I find for me personally is being close to other entrepreneurs um, uh, both trading tips and and tricks but also like just like emotional. Um, so emotional community is, is, is super helpful and of course finding good people like ultimately it's the team that executes like whatever we, we do you know having a good idea is great the execution obviously is what really separates um, you from everyone else and that's down to like who you got um, so finding great people is like a never-ending challenge we're always on the lookout for for good people yeah I definitely agree and also kind of I started this time, kind of started this quest to find a team when I was around 12 years old. And you know, when you reach out to someone over email that you've never met before, you don't really know if that's even the right email. And they're like, "Oh, I'm 12. Can you please help me?" Mm -hmm. You know, definitely my age in the beginning was a different, and still is really an obstacle on a lot of fronts. You know, finding funding, designing, development. You know, it's been a challenge to find that team. But you know, I'm really grateful that you know out of that struggle has come this team of people who really support me and really believe in what I do and really want are they out there to help me. 
Um, your company's based in the U.S.? Yes. Okay. Um, is, is there a particular reason why you picked the U.S.? Like, was it because you live there now and so... Uh, like- yeah, I am myself live in New York City, but actually, you know, I have a team from like all over the place. You know, my designer um, used to be from Texas, now lives in California. Um, Kairos is a startup for the facial recognition startup. They're based in Miami. I'm collaborating with a developer. He's actually based out of Cologne, Germany. So it's really like an international team. How difficult is it to sort of like because you have you, your team members are all over the world? How do you sort of coordinate and work together if everyone's in sort of different time zones? Yeah, I mean, I actually in the beginning kind of started coordinating with them separately. You know, when I started to design parts, I kind of talked to my designer, and then now I'm mainly collaborating with my developer. So, um, and I'm myself, I'm doing a lot of the work as well. So, it's really a collaborative process. And we've been, you know, connected over email and, you know, Skype calls. So, it's been. It's been a crazy process, but you know, in the end, we kind of we find a way to work, make it work. I mean, not to mention she's doing it while going to school. <laughs> <laughs> Is that difficult um, to sort of balance like what you're doing with timeless with your schoolwork? Yeah, I mean, you know, I go to a school, and, you know, everyone's doing uh, you know something. So, I mean, it, I don't feel that you know what I do out of my peers is like really weird. I mean, we're all going up late nights and stuff. But one second, you said you're going to a school where everybody is doing something like on the side, like everyone has sort of like a pet project. Yeah, I mean, like, like what is this school yeah. where fourteen-year-olds are? That wasn't my, that wasn't my school. <laughs> I mean, I, I you know I'm really lucky to have friends who like you know some people do like science research and some of them are doing really great like they're fencing and math competitions and I feel like you know part of that um, you know group of people of young people who are passionate about something and we really go and tackle that and you know balancing that with school and you know, all of us are doing you know some, uh, projects outside of school that you know requires to go you know we're 10 p.m 11 p.m we're still going so you know it's been a difficult process to balance at school but you know really grateful for what's come out of it that's great so you and tell us a little bit about why you decided to base your company in Hong Kong uh, sure, yeah, I get the question uh, a lot, and it's basically because, well, I, I worked at a hardware startup before, and we did it in a place that didn't really make sense. <laughs> we, well, it's a long story, but we did it from India, um, and it was a huge challenge, um, and one of my huge takeaways from that experience was if you're building great hardware, you really need to be a place that builds great hardware. And you can try to do it from somewhere else, no matter where it is, whether it's the Bay Area, um, anywhere in the U.S., or... Really, anywhere outside of like this Shenzhen area, like it's it's you're asking for trouble. Um, and so, when we had the idea, we we did the early prototypes in Boston. Uh, once we figured out, okay, this is you know pretty much what we need, this is what it's going to look like. Then I I came here and to find the factory and get it all get it all set up. And that I think, in retrospect, was like a great decision. Like I, I'm not sure we could have done it anywhere else, anywhere in the world. Um, and so uh, that's why. Uh, and at the same time, not just proximity to the manufacturers, but um, you know, we needed a place that had access to Google and Facebook. We sell predominantly to, to the US and, and to Europe, and those are tools that we use like every day, all the time. So we have to have great access to it. So Hong Kong really does serve as that perfect place where it's very well connected to the world in, all, in not just the internet, but the way of doing business. People here are very cosmopolitan. I uh, get around with English really easily. And at the same time, China is a day trips away, it's, and, and I go there all the time. Um, so that balance is, is like phenomenal. I'm, there's literally nowhere else I could have done that. So you travel between Hong Kong and Shenzhen pretty often. Like you, you're fa- like the factory that makes the helmets are in Shenzhen. Yep, that's right. Is it difficult being a startup in Hong Kong because 
you know, very often, like what I hear from other startups is that, you know, Hong Kong generally um, is still like a city that is very focused on traditional industries. Mm. And, you know, people generally still want to be, want to be investing in like property or like mm. that kind of stuff, stock markets. So is it difficult for startups based in Hong Kong to sort of look for funding from Hong Kong investors or in this region? Or how do you, how do you sort of solve that kind of like funding challenges or investing challenges? Well, I, I feel like Hong Kong is a like super interesting heritage because Hong Kong used to have strong manufacturing, used to have like strong textile manufacturing, uh, plastics uh, manufacturing. So there's a whole class of people here who have that that history. They don't they don't do it anymore, um, but they are familiar with with those industries and actually like they're not they're not really afraid of it. Um, so I would say it's easier than I thought. To be honest, it's, it's never easy, but it was a lot easier than I than I thought. In contrast to like you know sort of. Uh, where I grew up in Singapore, I feel like there is actually a lot more energy in, in, in Hong Kong, a lot more hustle, um, a lot, a lot more, um, maybe a lot more ambition. <laughs> I'm not sure if that's a good thing to say. <laughs> no, it's fine. I mean, I sort of understand that kind of like you know, Hong Kong is very vibrant city, and you know, it always feels like people are hustling. Mm. So that's 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 definitely very cool. Um, Emma, so you know, with your app, you said that you were ready to launch it, but. Um, like in terms of prototypes, have you used it with your grandmother, and like how has it changed your relationship with her, or has it improved like interactions generally? Uh, yeah, I mean the app. I've showed her kind of earlier versions and kind of told her what I'm doing. You know, she is like Chinese speaking, so and right now the app is in English, so I had to kind of explain it to her. Um, but yeah, I've showed it to her, and she thought it was a great idea. I mean, it's quite similar to what we're doing right now. We have like this whiteboard at home with all these phone numbers and stuff, and we have an iPad that she uses to kind of look at photos. Um, but I think that, you know, with her, I think I'm really hoping that, you know, what I do with her can really translate to other families as well, because we always had a really close relationship. She basically, you know, raised me when I was younger. And so, you know, I hope to really be this app is able to kind of cherish those relationships and really kind of sustain those memories. What kind of advice do you have for your peers who might also be interested in creating an app or starting a company in Hong Kong? I think really perseverance, you know, there are so many people out there who are, you know, interested in the tech sector who are, you know, really kind of looking for like the next big thing. And I think that, you know, as long as you really get out there, put yourself out there, say like, this is my idea and I'm really passionate about this, you know, who is, you know, on board, who's going to get behind. And so you kind of find that team of people, even though, you know, the process can be long, people sometimes kind of turn you down. You know, I've had, you know, VCs who kind of refer me to science fairs and say like, why don't you put it online and see what happens? And I think that, you know, if you really kind of look out there and see who can I can put on my team, that's really, you know, the first step going forward. What about you, Yuan? What kind of advice do you have for, you know, people who are trying to start companies in Hong Kong or start their entrepreneurship journey here. <laughs> I don't, I'm just listening to Emma's like, I'm so amazed. Like, yeah, she's right. <laughs> it's like, that's really good advice. <laughs> um, man, but I mean, she's, it's, the, it's these truisms, right? Just finding that, that core passion, finding something to, to really believe in. If, if you don't, what, what I found, if you don't believe it in yourself, then you, can, you cannot inspire it in someone else. You cannot inspire in someone else. You're not going to create that following. You're not going to create that, that business. So it's it, like, People say over, like all the time, but it's because I think it's because it's true. You get, you have to find a reason for believing in what in what you're doing. If you can't find it, you know, maybe that's the first thing to, to work on. So, what are your thoughts about the Hong Kong tech scene? Because I know you hang out with probably a lot of entrepreneurs um, in the city, and you know people. And sort of, what are you know, what's the sense you get about 
the Hong Kong sort of innovation and entrepreneurship scene because a lot of people often also say like, you know, like Hong Kong startups, like, you know, in, they're in a city where there's no market or like maybe there's a lack of talent or because people still want to become bankers or like lawyers and stuff. Mm. So what do you think about these sort of entrepreneurs that you've seen and like just the general scene? Well, I mean, my exposure is, is limited. I, I have a handful of entrepreneurs that I definitely hang out with. Um, and all of us are still alive, so that says a lot. <laughs> so, so vibrant in the sense that we're 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 sticking, we're, we're hanging on, and we're we're, we're we're still alive. So that that's pretty okay, all things considered. Um, I was just at the uh, Tech Lifestyle Conference yesterday, which was actually phenomenal. There were some really great speakers who came in. There was a good community of of startups and attendees. Um, I was actually like kind of blown away by that conference. It was that was like really really high quality. So like. The players are here. Like people, people are doing stuff. Yeah. So it sounds like you know earlier you mentioned that you have like your classmates are are, are, are doing. They all have sort of like their side projects or they're doing something else outside of school. So it is really led me to thinking: Is there a teenage tech scene in Hong Kong or anywhere else in the world? Basically, um, you know, you know, speaking from more of a U.S. perspective, you know, that's where I've really based um, Timeless. I think that there is like a growing almost group of people or even if I could say a movement of people of young people who because of the internet social media you know what we see on tv of young people who are kind of stemming up and saying here's my idea and like I really want to make this and a lot of people are actually getting out there and saying cool like here's the money go make it and there are people there's a group of people who are really you know on youtube who are making videos who are actually making products and apps who are out there you know building companies and products and they're you know teenagers like uh, myself and you know, Hillary Yip in Hong Kong. Um, I know a bunch of people um, over like Twitter and different campaigns that I've done in the US, all over the states, who are you know launching products. And I think it's really cool because you know we are you know, the leaders of tomorrow, and if we can get our voices out there when we're teenagers, that really shows how much you know the internet and the technology has really been able to kind of empower kids and empower people who have ideas of from all walks of life and from all ages. So what's next for the both of you? What's next for Timeless? Um, so next up, well, I'm launching soon, and then from then, I'm really hoping to you know collect feedback, see what people say, see you know what gets out there, and kind of work on there. You know, I'm also planning out phase two, you know, adding more features like you know adding music and gamification, and even translating it. I'm I actually unexpectedly got a lot of you know international traction for some reason. Um, a lot of people in Spain actually picked it up, and in China, and in Mexico. So I'm really hoping to you know get Spanish versions out there, Chinese versions out there, because there's obviously you know a target market beyond the U.S. So. Really trying, those are the next steps. All right, Emma Young, you and Ding, it's been great having you with us in the studio today. If we want to find out more about you guys, where can we find you? Yeah, on Twitter, I'm at uh, Emma Yang78, and you can also find Timeless's website at timeless.care. Uh, we are Lumos Helmets. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We have a WHUB account uh, as well. If you just Google, uh, you'll find all of us, uh, all, all those sites. Lumos says in like that Harry Potter spell that lights up your wand. Very cool. So I'm definitely looking forward to you know Lumos Lumos's new product as well as um, Timeless's app when it launches. Otherwise, again, I am Zensu. If you would like to follow me on Twitter, I am at Zensu, and definitely go to scmp.com/tech. That's where we post all of our great tech content. So definitely check us out, and I will see you next week. Bye. 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 
Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.